The Faith Tested by Fire podcast, episode 18, Troubleshooting Your Christian Experience. Jim Galliano, and today I want to talk about in this podcast troubleshooting your Christian experience. So, under the Old Testament, God's people limited their experience with Him through their doubts and unbelief. I'm going to read from the 78th Psalm of the American King James Version, verses 40 and 41. Starting in verse 40, it says, How oft they provoke Him in the wilderness. And grieve him in the desert. Of course, that's talking about when God led the uh, Israelites out of Egypt. Verse 41 says, Yes, they turned back and tempted God, or tested God, some translations say, and limited the Holy One of Israel. So that 41st verse, that really throws a uh, a curveball with uh, some people's theology because they just believe that whatever God wills to happen, that's what's going to happen. But yet, we see in the New Testament where the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, uh, but that all should come to everlasting life, and we know that doesn't happen. So God's not willing that something happen, but it happens anyway. Why is that? Well, not to get too deep into theology, but it just to keep it basic, we've been given free will. It says in the book of Deuteronomy, I set before you blessing and cursing, life and death, choose life that both you and your seed or your offspring shall live. So here in the 41st verse, it says they tested God, they turned back, and they limited God. They limited the Holy One of Israel. So think about the miracles the Israelites witnessed as they left Egypt and crossed through the wilderness. Yet, even so, they complained about their circumstances and didn't have faith that God would see them all the way through. So if a person can limit God through their doubts, fears, and outright unbelief, they can also remove those limits by taking a stand and putting complete trust in the power of God as it pertains to their specific situation. They could have done that in the wilderness, and it's no different with God's people today. In the 41st verse in Psalm 78, it says they turn back. Here's another way to put it. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39, it says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man turn back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then the 39th verse that says, But we are not of them who draw back to perdition but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So when somebody looks at salvation, some people look at it in terms of just the big picture. In other words, what will happen to you in the day of judgment? What will happen to you at the moment of death? But in the context of salvation, as we see it worked out in the Bible, salvation appears in individual circumstances in the little picture, as well as it does in the big picture. So people find um, temporary salvation when Jesus came and healed the sick, and those same people also found eternal salvation as a result of them having put their trust in him. 
And on the contrary to that, it says the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Well, that goes right along where it says without faith it's impossible to please God. So perdition means ruin, loss, or destruction. So think about that. Forty years is a long time to wander in the wilderness. It's basically a lifetime of problems for those who are in the midst of it. By contrast, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, not 40 years. You can't help but see the contrast of faith and unbelief at work. The ancient Israelites that left Egypt, that's an example of the promises of God being countered with doubt, fear, and unbelief. As a matter of fact, an entire generation, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, were left outside of the promised land. So, Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness, and we know that Jesus had the testimony as a man, just as, as a human being, that he pleased God. So, if without faith it's impossible to please God, and Jesus pleased God, so you know that obviously he was a person who lived and walked by faith. I'm just putting these basic little building blocks out there just to establish that we're all on the same page. So it's no different today. And one of the things I want you to think about is that we have all of these teaching materials available online, but knowledge enough isn't alone. Knowing the truth in your mind as a series of facts is one thing. Having it in your heart and not being fearful or not drawing back is another. The existence of things like bitterness, resentment, anger, and unbelief within the heart drags you down to a place where you, you experience limits to what God can accomplish through and in your life. Now, now keep in mind, as I said earlier, some people, they have a theology which says God can do anything. And in the big picture, I would have to agree with that, but we're not looking at the big picture. We're looking at the little picture. And if we zoom down even further, we're looking at your life. And if we zoom in even closer, maybe we're looking at a challenge that you're facing financially, job uh, problems that you're facing with uh, family relationships, maybe health problems. So you can see that not only did that whole group of people turn back and limit God, but it affected the actual individuals in that whole group. So looking at the big picture, you just see a mob of people experiencing something. But as you zoom in, as you narrow your focus, you see individual human lives. They were brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, grandparents, people just like we know today, people just like yourself, who limited God in their individual lives and in their corporate lives. So you may not be able to do anything about what's going on in the crowd, but you can make the choices for yourself, choices that will change what will happen in your everyday life experience. So the good news is, is that you can examine your heart and get free from anything that weighs you down from the inside out. So let's talk about the solution. Instead of creating a formula, all you really have to do is step out and take action based on the principles that we see in the Bible. And it's like that with anything else. Whatever you're trying to do, you can turn it into a formula but just like anything else, you can't always follow exactly and do what somebody else did. 
and get the same results. It doesn't work that way practically most of the time. Maybe some of the time, but not most of the time. Most of the time you have to take the principles that you've learned and apply them to your specific situation because every situation is a little bit different. So the situations are different. We're different. Some days we're up, some days not so much. But the one thing that never changes is God and God's promises. Isaiah 26, 3. Simple principle. Anyone can do this. Anyone who believes that is. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So think about that for a moment. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is Isaiah talking before God. And what you, what you see here is very simple. Your mind affects your heart. Your heart or your spirit is the part of you that believes or doubts. Your mind, your soul, that personality part, that contains the facts and the filters, uh, but those things, they, they seep down. It's kind of like the top of the soil and the root down deep below. Your heart, that's, where, that's the part of you where belief is, where faith is, but that's also the part that can get weighed down by doubts, fears, and unbelief. So all things are possible with God. That's what the Bible says. It says all things are possible to those who believe. And that would be true because of their connection with God. Not from the head, but from the heart. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19 says, And I will give them, this is a prophecy towards the future, I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take it the stony heart out of their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. So you can see the picture language there. The stony heart is the heart that's not open to receive. The stony heart is the part that intellectualizes everything, that calculates everything and then comes up with a negative answer, with a negative outlook. But the heart of flesh, the uh, new heart, the new spirit is the kind that hopes all things, believes all things, that's motivated by by love and hope instead of fear and doubt. It says in Ezekiel 36:26, again, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away, oh, excuse me, I'm reading the same basically the same scripture over again and even realize it when I was reading it. Um but again it says I'll give you a heart of flesh. So consider a few simple facts. You can't set your heart on politics or the news of the day or all the things that are wrong in the world without paying the price that comes with that kind of focus. Another scripture puts it like this, let us lay aside the weights and the sins which so easily beset us or knock us off course. So not everything is a sin. I know some people think that everything's a sin. You know, I mean, if you watched a movie, that's a sin. If you read the wrong kind of book, that's a sin. Um, you know, I mean, we can really dig deep into it. If you smoke cigarettes, that's a sin. But according to the Bible, sin is a transgression of the law. But sin is not the only problem. It's the heart of man. That's the problem because it says it's not the things outwardly that defile a person, but the things that come from the heart, from the inner person. That's why, even though as a believer, a person who believes, they look the same on the outside. It's the same person, but they have a new heart. They have a new inner man. That's the part that's renewed. That's the part that's restored. So, 
even if you're not focusing purposefully or intentionally on the evil or what you might call the base things of the world, repeated exposure to these things produces the same effect as intentional exposure does. You're as human as I am, so I know you can instinctively relate to what I'm saying. What you see, what you hear, or give your attention to either adds to you or takes from you. There's no way around it. You can choose to think on certain things, though, and look away from other things. Like it says in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So here's the thing. If you're thinking on these things and these things seep down into your heart, then you'll start talking about these things. If you start talking about these things and you start thinking about these things, then you'll start believing these things. See, here's the thing. You can believe the right things or you can believe the wrong things. And if you believe the wrong things, those things have a way of working themselves out into your life experience in some way, shape, or form. You can't be... I guess the easiest way to say it is you can't be loose with certain things and not expect to be affected by them. There's a lot of things that will weigh you down. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm talking about heaviness. Isaiah 61.3 says, The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So notice that God isn't glorified when you have a spirit of heaviness. And how many people go through their lives if you carry heaviness from day to day, whether it's just in one area of your life or several areas, you can't, again, not only do you affect yourself negatively, but you affect the people around you negatively. No one will want to be around you because of that heaviness. You know, it's con- and it's literally contagious. Um, I, I believe that's why it's phrased the spirit of heaviness. Have you ever been in a place that's highly negative or highly positive or highly whatever and it just seems to rub off on you until you leave that place? That's what I, I believe it means when it says in this particular context, the spirit of heaviness. Um, so God is not glorified when you have a spirit of heaviness. That's why he gives you, in exchange for that, a garment of praise. Another uh, Old Testament verse says praise stills the enemy and it stills the avenger so not only does it have an effect psychologically but it has an effect spiritually in the spiritual dimension so you know if you're being affected by a spirit of heaviness you don't have to wonder about it because it spills over into every area of your life so let's, let's finish up on a high note let's talk about troubleshooting your life some practical things When life is tough, escapism can seem like a viable alternative to dealing with certain things. Focusing on finding practical solutions to ongoing challenges can be draining. At the heart of everything, as far as the mental part of the struggle goes, is usually the fear of loss. And that fear can go from your head down into your heart. It could be the loss of resources, the fear of that, or the loss of money, or the loss of job or the loss of business, the loss of friends, the loss of family, maybe the loss of mobility or health or home. I mean, the list just goes on and on. 
those are the things that you can look into your own heart, examine yourself in light of what the Bible says. You know, this is what I think Jesus was referring to the inner part in John 14, 30, right before he went to the cross. It says in verse number 30, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world comes, and he has nothing in me. In other words, there was nothing in Jesus, fear-wise, that he could latch on to. Jesus didn't have the fear of a loss of resources, or money, or job, or business, or friends, or any anything. And so there was nothing in him that the enemy could connect to. Relative to Satan's attacks, Jesus was fearless. He didn't fear drowning when the storm arose on the Sea of Galilee. Peter, however, had that fear rise up in him. Jesus didn't get discouraged or worried when they didn't have enough food in the wilderness. In other words, that statement, Satan has nothing in me, really spells it out. Because when all said and done, we each have a choice. We can face those fears and overcome them through fighting the good fight of faith. Now, you might think that it's easy. Maybe you don't think it is. But everybody has their points where the struggle seems monumental. If not, Paul never would have made the statement, when I'm weak, I'm strong. So, you get to the point where you give everything that you can give, but oftentimes you'll find that, hey, guess what? It's just not enough. So, at that point is where you step totally out of what you can see here, or what other people are saying, and you have 100% faith in God. You do what you know how to do, but then you have to trust God for everything else. And believe me, 99 times out of 100, there will be other things that you are incapable of fixing on your own. Or, the alternative is you can let those fears remain in you and experience moments of what seems like hell on earth because of the torment that fear will open you up to. So identify the fears that you're dealing with and learn how to finally turn them over to God. You may have to do it day by day, moment by moment, but the principles of praying in faith are very simple. That's why Jesus used a child in his example of what the people are like in the kingdom of heaven. It's a matter of looking to God the way a child who's helpless would look to a parent, not getting discouraged, and continuing to move forward day by day. Can you do that? Absolutely. Why do some people have greater tests than others? Or is your lack of tests or trials certain things mean that you're not on the right path? You know, all I can say is the same thing that Jesus said to Peter. Jesus said to Peter when Peter asked him, I'll read this quickly. This is from John chapter uh, 21, verses 20 through 22. It said, Peter turned and saw Jesus' favorite disciple following them. He was the same one who sat next to Jesus at the meal and asked, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw that disciple, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, what is that to you if I want him to live until I return? You must follow me. That's the contemporary English version. The way we'd say it today would probably be like, don't worry about the path that he's going down. You follow me. So, when you're tempted to look at what's going on in somebody else's life and compare your progress to theirs, what would Jesus do if he were there? He would do the same thing that he did with Peter and John. 
Don't worry about what your friends are doing. Don't worry about what ministry somebody else has. And don't live your life vicariously through another person. You have your own life. You have your own path. Don't run away from it. Whatever fears may be causing you to veer off, just realize that as he is, the Bible says, so are we in this world. We are connected with him. The Bible says he's the head, we're the body. So believe in that connection. Embrace that connection and determine once and for all that God is for you, not against you, that you can move forward, that you can overcome anything that you face in this lifetime. Because greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. Anyway, that's it for today. Again, this is Jim Galliano. That's all I have for now. Thanks for listening. We're reading if you're at the website. As always, for more information, please visit www.faithtestedbyfire.com. 